1, verses 15 through 19. If we're able, please stand to show your reference to the Lord as we hear his word. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in righteous sacrifice in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. And our New Testament reading comes from 2 Corinthians verses, chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has dis distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He, will, <clears throat> he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not supplying the needs of the, of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for others. While they long for you in prayer, while they long for you and pray for you because of this surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his immeasurable gift. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, thanks be God. You may be seated. I think we should do the sermon first. I think I lost my voice already from doing the praise. You know, that's some good praise. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for, Lord, your grace upon us, Lord, as we continue to, Lord, every day just stand in wonder and awe of your love to us, your grace to us, Lord. And Lord, as we now hear your word spoken to us, we pray, Lord, that your spirit would reveal to us your heart and your thoughts, your word that will drive us and motivate us and lead us 
to live in a way that is pleasing to you, Lord. And so, Lord, we pray that we would not be distracted, but that your spirit would help us to focus our hearts and minds on you. And we pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we continue to discuss generosity in our two-part sermon series, uh, last week Kenny did a great job of just preaching to us from Ephesians 8 and teaching us about the grace of God and why we, we give. And as we continue to learn about generosity and discuss this, I want us to take us to focus on the giving as a gift, that we are giving as a gift. In the Old Testament, the Israelites they were constantly, they were commanded to give, and they were given many opportunities to give. And we know that there were five main uh, offerings. They're, they're, they gave offerings and sacrifices. They gave burnt offerings. They gave guilt offerings and sin offerings, thanksgiving offerings. They gave offerings to make vows, right? They did many offerings and many sacrifices. And some of these were mandatory for the atonement of sins. Yet most of them were voluntary. They were free will offerings. There were offerings that they brought to the Lord out of the heart, the love, the thanksgiving that they had to the Lord. The people were to give as they were compelled by the love that they had for the Lord. But we see that many times in the Old Testament that God often rebukes the Israelites for not giving in the way that they ought to. It's not that they weren't giving the offerings. It's not that they were not giving the sacrifices. But God was looking at their heart. And so David, he confesses in our Old Testament reading today in Psalm 51, the same thing, that it's not about the sacrifice, but that God is looking for us to show internally this obedience and love for him as we do externally. And so he says in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And in today's New Testament passage, Paul, he encourages the Corinthians in the same way. He says to give ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. He emphasizes that our gift must be willingly. It must be out of the freedom and the love that we have for Christ, uh, for God, through the grace that we have received in Christ. And our giving is actually a participation in this act of grace that we have been given that is made possible only by God. And so this is the overarching theme of chapters 8 and 9. When Paul talks about giving, when he talks about generosity, we have to understand where Paul is coming from because we're about to interpret some of uh, these verses. We have to remember that this is about grace. Paul says that our giving comes out of the grace of God. And so it applies to us today. Whether we are giving tithes or offerings or whether we are giving our service or resources or our labor as offering, that it doesn't come from just us trying to do something good or doing a good work. But as Paul encourages us, he says that it comes out of the grace of God, it comes out of our love for God, and it comes freely from our freedom, our willingness to give, and not out of reluctance or obligation. Because God, he knows the intentions of our hearts. And he is glorified, not by the offering, by the sacrifice, but he is glorified by our heart of offering to him. And so we remember in the Old Testament, Saul, how after he defeated the Amalekites, 
because of the, the people and wanting to please the people, he saved the best things. And out of a good intention, he offers them to the Lord. And so Samuel comes and rebukes Saul. And the Lord says to Saul, he says, I don't, I don't need your offering. I don't need your sacrifice. I need you to be obedient to me. I want your heart. And so Paul makes this point in verses 6 and 7, that we are to give willingly and cheerfully, that the grace of God can only be responded to in willingness and freedom and not under reluctance or compulsion. And so he says in verses 6 and 7, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. When I was a child, and I have to make an emphasis that when I was a child, (laughs) I grew up in a very charismatic religious setting. And my parents were, were, they're, they're kind of a full gospel, you know, Pentecostal, they're a little bit charismatic. They're Presbyterian now, so don't worry about me. I'm, I'm Presbyterian, so. But when I was a child, we, you know, I grew up in a charismatic church, and I was taught this scheme, verse 6, of sowing and reaping. And I was told that the, the secret to this is in verse 6. You see, if you sow sparingly, if you sow a little bit, then you're only going to receive a little bit. But if you sow bountifully, then what's God going to do? He will give back to you 10, 20, 30, 100 times, hallelujah, you know, and that's what I was taught, right? That's what we heard. And as a child, this sounded really, really good to me because, all right, economically, if I put a dollar in the offering plate, then that means God will give me 10 20, 30, or even $100 back. And so what did I do? Whenever I, you know, got, you know, gave into that offering plate, I would say, God, you know, I believe, you know, I have faith, you know, that you're going to give me back. And sometimes he would, miraculously, at birthday parties, you know, when I got gifts, <laughs> at Christmas, you know, sometimes I would get that back. But, so, and, and so that meant I had a lot of faith, right, that I'm sowing this seed And God is, you know, blessing me for it. But sometimes I wouldn't get anything back. And so the the problem wasn't about me, you know, having the wrong intentions or trying to use God or anything like that. That wasn't a problem. The problem was me. I didn't have enough faith. And so what did I have to do? When I put that dollar in the offering plate, I had to clench my fists a little harder and squeeze my eyes a little harder. And I need to pray harder and believe harder that God would give this back to me. By the grace of God, I've grown out of that. (laughs) And I've, you know, come to know God and come to love God and come to realize that I don't give to God because I want to get something out of him or because I want to use him or because I want to make more money, but I give to God as an offering, as a gift because of the love of God, because of the grace of God. Because I have, I have been immersed with his grace and love, I give out of a willing heart. Now here's the problem, and the trouble is that when we encounter verses like these, most people have learned what I've learned, that verse 6 talks about giving little 
versus giving a lot. But if we look at the context of what Paul is talking about, he's not talking about giving little versus giving a lot. He's talking about how you give. Sowing bountifully, then in verse 7, doesn't mean prosperity gospel. There's a lot of things wrong with prosperity gospel, but I want to just point out three quick things of why Paul is not talking about sowing a lot so that you can get a lot. First of all, Paul isn't asking the Corinthians to give to his ministry. He's not asking the Corinthians to give a lot to him so that he could have a greater ministry. As a lot of prosperity teachers do, they say, give to this ministry and you'll be blessed so that we can buy jets and airplanes and all these nice things. Paul is not saying, give to me so that I can buy you know, a, better, a better boat or whatever it was back then. He's saying, give so that you together as Christians can help serve the Lord and serve his church by helping these poor Jewish, uh, Jewish churches. Secondly, there is no self-interest involved here in, in Paul asking the Corinthians to give. He's not saying to them, if you give, then God will give you a hundred times back. There's no self-interest in the Corinthians. He's saying, be selfless. As in chapter 8, he says, as Christ, who was rich, became poor so that you could become rich. He's saying, be selfless in your giving. And thirdly, Paul's point is not about how much to give, but his point is how to give. Most prosperity teachers will teach verse 6, they'll quickly skip over the first part of verse 7, and then they'll just go to the last part of verse 7 where they say, and God loves a cheerful giver. So give a lot. But Paul here in verse 6, he's saying, if you sow sparingly, meaning if you sow reluctantly, because this is what he's just talking about, if you sow out of an obligation, if you sow with the wrong heart, then you're going to get reluctance. You're going you're to get what you sow. But if you sow with the right heart, if you sow willingly, if you sow joyfully and cheerfully and generously, then you will receive what you sow. In other words, those who give sparingly will not have joy in their giving, but rather they'll be burdened because you're taking something away from them. There's no joy when someone takes something from you. There's no joy. It's a burden. It becomes a burden. They will question God's grace rather than celebrate it. Those who sow sparingly, Paul says, you're not going to encounter the grace of God, but you're going to question, God, why are you taking this from me? Don't you want me to have more, God? Don't you want to give me a hundred times or whatever it is? And they will question God rather than celebrate the grace that he has given to them. Those who sow sparingly will see their giving as a loan rather than a gift. They'll say, God, here's whatever amount of money, but you know what? I expect something back. Paul says, it is not given out of reluctance, but we give cheerfully. That means we're not giving God a loan. We are giving God an offering, a gift. And so what are these things that we reap? What are the things that we reap? Paul talks about them in verses 8 through 11. He says that God provides everything that we need to do what? To do his good work. And so in verse 8, 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So what are we reaping? Are we reaping financial security? Are we reaping material wealth? No. Paul here, he says, what you sow bountifully, you will reap. Here's what you're you're doing. God is making his grace abound in you in every way, in all things, so that you can do what? You can abound in every good work. God gives to us so that we can give cheerfully and generously to be a part of his good works. That is what we reap. He says in verse 10 that God will supply and multiply the seed for growing. Growing what? Reaping what? Material wealth? No, he says, so that you will be able to sow and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Increase these good works. What is the harvest of your righteousness? Where does our righteousness come from? It comes from Christ. It comes from the grace of God. And so Paul is saying that when God gives to you and you sow bountifully, he says, then the harvest of your righteousness will increase. Basically saying the righteousness of Christ, the work of God, this grace of God will increase. In his commentary, Paul Barnett, he says, clearly, The righteousness Paul calls for from Christians is dynamic and active, characterized by generosity. We take it that the harvest of your righteousness is the fruit of God's justification of his people in Christ, expressed in their generosity toward needy saints. For Paul, their participation in the collection is a proof of love and of the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel. How can we who have been saved by the grace of God through Christ, have been given his righteousness, how can we practice that righteousness of Christ? Paul says, be generous. Give, not reluctantly, but cheerfully. That is how we practice this righteousness that we have been given by the grace of God. Paul says that when we give generously, that he is increasing, not us, not me, not my bank account, but he says that he is increasing the harvest of our righteousness, the righteousness that comes from Christ. Again, in verse 11, Paul tells the Corinthians that they will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. He continues to tell them what God is doing in their lives through the grace of God. He says he is enriching you in every way. Why? So that you can be generous in every way. So when you sow bountifully, what are you reaping? You're reaping generosity. Paul says that you are being enriched by God so that you can be more generous, so that you can be more cheerful in your giving, so that you can abound in the grace of God more. As a Christian, isn't this what we long for? Wouldn't you rather participate in the kingdom work of God to do every good work that comes from God? Wouldn't you rather reap righteousness and good work that blesses others that blesses the church and edifies the church, 
Wouldn't you rather reap what edifies us as Christians and makes us more like Christ than reap financial reward? This is what we long for as Christians. And so in verses 11b through 13, Paul says, ultimately, when we give properly, when we sow bountifully, it will result in the thanksgiving and glory to God. This is our aim. This is our purpose. This is our motive behind giving is that it would ultimately bring thanksgiving and glory to God. So if we put all these verses together, it is through God's abounding grace that we will have everything at all times and seed for sowing that will multiply and we will be enriched in every way so that we will abound in every good work, increase the harvest of righteousness and be generous in every way. This, as Paul says, is what will produce thanksgiving to God and glory to God. Paul, he emphasizes this sowing bountifully, and he says the result will be thanksgiving to God and glory to God, but also he emphasizes the participation and the sharing of faith among the saints. He tells the Corinthians that the sharing of this generosity to the poor Jewish churches, that it is actually a participation together in the faith and even the persecution of the church and the body at large, brothers and sisters across the world. And this is what shows and encourages the Christians that their faith is genuine by how they give and how they participate in the faith and the suffering of their fellow brothers and sisters. This sharing in one another comes from, he says, the surpassing grace of God upon you. Again, it comes from the grace of God. Everything is from the grace of God. So some people are, are, are a little bit, um, they think, well, I'm going to lose money and I'm, I'm not going to have enough for myself and so I, I shouldn't give and they're a little bit reluctant. And Paul reminds them that it is the grace of God that allows us to give. It is because of God that we are able to give in the first place. It is God's uh, grace and through his blessings that we are able to give. And he reminds them that we must share with one another the grace that God has given us. Paul Barnett, he remarks this again about participation and sharing. Paul's word stands as a rebuke to the Corinthians' myopic individualism and congregationalism. Paul's emphasis is upon equality within the worldwide people of the new covenant and the mutual responsibility each member is to show to others, regardless of geographic separation or ethnic difference. Paul is saying that we share together as brothers and sisters. And so our generosity towards our brothers and sisters in Sudan is not out of reluctance. It is not out of obligation. It is not even out of guilt. But it is because we share together as the church, the body of Christ, we share and participate together in his grace, which also means being generous to those who are separated, by, separated uh, from us by geographic location, who are separated from us by culture, by ethnicity. As I was going through these words of Paul, I was reminded again 
that we love one another here at Grace, and our vision here at Grace is to love one another and a love that comes from the grace of God that crosses ethnicity and crosses uh, the culture and economic lines and all these things. And we do that here at Grace. I, I, I truly believe that we are intentional in doing that here at Grace. But another way that we show that we truly know the gospel and the grace of God is when we don't just show that love here, but when we show that love everywhere, all across the world. And so Paul, he concludes his exhortation with this final remark. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. The question comes to mind, what gift is he talking about? Is he talking about the gift of the Macedonians? Is he talking about the gift of the Corinthians? Is he talking about his gift? What is this inexpressible gift? And of course, Paul is not talking about money that is being gathered as an offering. He is reminding us of the greatest gift that we have been given, the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. He intentionally words this final verse. Remember, Uh, In previous uh, verse, uh, in chapter 9, verse 5, he says that your gift, right, should not be out of uh, reluctance. And he finishes 8 and 9 by saying, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. He's saying, as you give your gift, remember the gift that you have been given. For it is through grace that we have been given this gift of salvation And we have been given this gift of adoption. And we have been given this gift of eternal life. We have been given this gift of justification. We have been given the gift of forgiveness of sins. And the list goes on and on and on. And Paul says, thanks be to God that we have been given this inexpressible gift because it is out of this gift that we are able to give. And so regardless of what we have, whether we have little or much, we give because of God's inexpressible gift to us. If we truly understand and we have received this inexpressible gift, how can we not give willingly and generously when we are called to action? Why would we not participate in this act of grace that reveals God's righteousness in us? and proves his grace in us. How can we not sow bountifully what is already God's and has come from God's grace so that we may abound in every good work? Why would we not participate in this work that unites God's people regardless of ethnicity and culture or class since we too were once strangers and aliens and separated from Christ? This is not guilt. This is grace the inexpressible gift of Christ, this grace is what separates our giving from the giving of non-Christians. In the world, the world gives to quench an emotion of guilt or some kind of, to, to become satisfied, right? There's some other obligation or duty there. They give out of a self, self-righteous giving to feel good about themselves or to be able to boast Even Christians sometimes give this way. I've been asked many times, Pastor, what do you think about tithe? Is it right to give 10%, 5%, 8%? 
Should I give offering? Should I give it to the church? Or what, what, you know, should I even give? I've been asked many a time. It's, again, it's not about how much, but about how. If we are asking these questions, we are asking the wrong question. We are not required to give. God is not a tyrannical king who exacts money from you and forces you to give. He does not need us to give so that his kingdom will be filled. We don't give as a requirement. We don't give so that we don't feel guilty anymore. We don't give to check off a box. We don't give during the offering time so that we can save face, you know, so that other people don't judge us for not giving. Instead, we who are in Christ, we who have been consumed by this grace of God, we give because of the one who in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. We give as a gift because of the inexpressible gift we have been given. The grace of God through Jesus Christ is what motivates us to do all things and it is what motivates us to give. And so let us be reminded of this gospel as we give to be compelled to serve and to give to our Lord who gave his own life for us so that in our freedom we could give generously. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us so that we may abound in this grace. Father, we pray that as we are taken through this season of giving, Lord, we pray that our hearts would not be burdened, but instead our hearts would overflow with joy that we would truly be cheerful givers because we know and we understand and we have received the inexpressible gift, your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that you would gather our hearts to you, Lord, and be pleased and honored and glorified through our giving. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.